Hi, my name is Erin. Welcome to our weekly Maison Mission program. This is episode number 10. Happy Valentine's Day. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, Maison Mission is an inclusive faith community. The word Maison comes from a Greek word that means greater. The Maison Mission is about finding greater spaces for people to hear and experience the good news of Jesus. You can find out more about Maison Mission through the links in the description of this program. Will you join me in a short prayer? God, thank you for today. Thank you for a fresh start. Thank you for loving us and taking care of us. God, we thank you for the chance to get together in our own homes um, and worship you together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey there, I'm Levi Lowry, a teaching pastor here at Maison Mission. And before I get into the sermon today, I want to share with you something that I heard about Maison Mission this week. And it did my heart a lot of good. My wife was having a conversation uh, with someone and they told her that they had tuned in to Maison Mission over the last couple of weeks. And she looked at my wife and she said, you guys are like a unicorn. And I never thought that that could be a compliment, but that is exactly uh, what was meant by the comment that we we are the thing that you really want to exist, but you didn't believe uh, existed. And I got to tell you, it was so good for my heart uh, to have this church compared uh, to a unicorn because we believe that there are there are so many people out there looking for this type of faith community. So I wanna encourage you, if you're enjoying this and you know of some people that would enjoy it too, tell them about it. Tell them about it, host a watch party, uh, whatever it takes uh, to help them discover the unicorn that is Maison Mission. Now we are concluding uh, a series today, a teaching series called The Words of God. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's been a bit nerve wracking too because we said early in the series that we wanted to challenge some of the things that maybe we've been taught over the course of our life about the Bible in Scripture, and that we wanted to kind of push the limit a little bit. Not that we would all necessarily agree on everything, but that we would be willing to consider some other angles or other lenses than what we are used to when it comes to Scripture. In all honesty, I think we've, we've done that. And I was heading down a, a very narrow path for this last sermon. And a couple of weeks ago, I decided to switch gears just a little bit. Now, I don't know if it's because I watch so much YouTube with my son uh, or what, but I want to finish up this series with a top five list. And this list is the top five mistakes that we make when reading scripture. And this is probably all of us. I, I have done uh, each of these things myself over the years, all right? So I reached out to a few trusted friends, and I asked them to think about the one mistake that they would want to help people avoid when reading scripture, all right? So these are not in any order. They're just random, but here are five mistakes to avoid when reading scripture. Number five is this. We, we make a mistake when we refuse to read the Bible literarily, all right? Not literally, but literarily. The reality is the Bible is a book comprised of 66 different books. Within those 66 books are at least six different types of literature, all right? Now, if you had three books, one could be a book of poetry, uh, one could be a biography, 
And uh, another may not even be a book, but it could be a letter that was written to you by a family member or a friend. So think about this. If you are reading poems, if you have a book of poetry and you sit down to read it, you're going to read poetry differently than you would read a biography. And you would read a biography differently than you would read a letter that someone sent you. We, we can't just sit down and, and read scripture flatly. We have to understand that there, there are all different genres of, of writing. There's, there's history, there is poetry, there's apocalyptic literature, there's letters, there's historical, there's wisdom literature. And if we read all of these things flatly, we're, we're gonna miss what's really going on. So if I'm reading a biography, it's pretty straightforward. I'm not going to read that like I'm reading a dystopian novel because I know that there are things going on at different levels uh, in the novel. I also understand that poetry can be uh, written from deep, deep places of the heart. And they may not speak in actual reality, but they, they put words in art form uh, that, that get to the heart of the matter. And uh, just to illustrate this, wisdom literature is uh, part of scripture. And the Proverbs are, are full of things that are mostly true, or better said, they are, they are very often true, but sometimes they aren't. Now, my dad was a pastor for something like 47 years, and he's told me on multiple occasions that he would see people try to take something that was wisdom literature that, that was often true and turn it into a promise of God. All right. So in Proverbs 22, 6, maybe you've heard of this verse. There is a verse that says, direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. Now, People claim this as a promise of God. If we raise our children a certain way, that when they're old, they're not going to leave that certain way. Well, that sounds good, except that this was not a promise of God. It was wisdom literature. And if you think about it, you know that person that was raised in a good home. Uh, everything was secure. They had everything that was provided for them and, and that they needed to grow up into a, a healthy, contributing citizen to society. But somewhere they got in with a bad crowd and they started making bad decisions and they never got back on the right path. And so this is wisdom. Yeah, it's, it's mostly true. Very often, if you raise a kid a certain way, they're going to stay that path. But it's not a promise of God. But this is what happens when we don't read scripture literarily. Okay. And as I said, there's narrative, historical, there's poetry, wisdom, there's prophecy, gospels, uh, and we need to learn how to read these. Now, I can't get into all of this today, but in the description of this service, I'm going to provide a link that the Bible Project does a really good job of giving us an overview uh, of how to read the different literary styles that we find in Scripture. All right, so that's one. The second mistake we need to avoid, and, and this is kind of slang, but I'm going to call it verse jacking, all right, where we jack a verse out of scripture, uh, we hijack it and make it say 
what we want it to say. Or we, we take a verse that sounds really good to our ears and we just apply it, uh, not in the context in which it was written, but in the context of our situation. And I liken this to one of my favorite machines uh, in the arcade. If, if you find me at a Chuck E. Cheese, which the closest one is Ocala, don't ask me how I know that, but or a, a Dave and Buster's, uh, you will you will see me head straight to one game in every arcade, and that is the claw machine. I love the claw machine because I feel like it's not just a game of chance; that there's a little bit of skill to it. You have to be able to identify the the little stuffed animal that's not wedged in there too tightly that maybe you can grab and uh, take that prize home. But too often um, we are guilty. A mistake that we make is treating scripture like a claw machine. We just reach in and we pluck out a scripture completely out of context and make it say something that it was never intended to say. I think the most hijacked verse of all time is Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. It sounds awesome. God is going to make me rich and life is going to be so good. Uh, Relevant Magazine uh, wrote an article on this a few years ago. And they said, as a standalone promise, it appears as though God exists to make us all popular, rich, healthy, and powerfully well-known. God declares the American dream over my life. That is not the context that that scripture was written in, okay? This is an incredible promise that is, in fact, not given to an individual. That you, I know the plans that I have for you, was not written to one person, but to an entire people group, to an entire nation, the Hebrews who were exiled in Babylon. And what God was doing is he was promising that he had not given up on his people. And that even though things look dire, they still had a future and a hope. So the word prosper, it actually doesn't refer to money or material blessings. It refers to physical and spiritual salvation. It's a beautiful promise that God is not done with his people and that their future and their hope were found only in him. Now, That sounds a little bit different than everyone who makes this their life verse. And I know I'm going to get an email because I just completely stomped on your life verse right here. And it's going to be okay. I promise. All right. We can bring an incredibly individualized filter to scripture. And when we make the mistake of doing the claw machine on scripture, we, we pull scripture right out of its context and we make it say what we want to say. This is actually kind of a positive ish way of doing it, but it's also been used in really, really bad ways. And and I know it's going to come as a surprise to you. Verse jacking is not the official term. It's actually called proof texting, where we we make scripture prove what we want it to prove or scripture to say what we want it to say. All right. So the, the third mistake that we need to avoid is making the Bible more than it is. One of the friends that I reached out to sent me a text. He said, my my number one mistake to help people avoid would be understanding the subconscious bias we bring when we read any word of the Bible. Now, this could be a myriad of things. Uh, It could be a bias that's based on socioeconomics, race, 
nationality, gender, culture, education, but to recognize that bias is important. Our Western culture is so different from the ancient Near East culture that the scripture was written in. When they wrote history documents, when they recorded stories and poetry, they did it in certain ways. And more often than not, they were telling a story of how their God was superior as much as they were actually recording history. I guess an easier way of saying that is they were not as concerned with the facts as much as we are. And when we bring that bias that somehow they were supposed to be as concerned with the facts as we are, we're bringing a bias to uh, the scripture. And if we aren't careful, we can try to force the Bible to be something more than what it was intended to be. The creation account is a good example. If we read the creation account and see that the order of creation has a day and night before the sun has even been created, uh, we see that uh, an atmosphere is developed on earth without the sun, that plant life formed without the sun. Well, modern science is clear that this is, this is impossible. And it kind of goes back to the illustration we had a couple weeks ago of Galileo, who's like, yeah, I know you say the scripture is saying that the earth is the center, but it's not. The sun is. There's a pastor named Adam Hamilton, and he says this, I am not troubled by the scientific inaccuracy because I don't think the story was written to teach science. And he's talking about creation. Nor do I expect biblical authors to have a recent understanding of 21st cosmology and astrophysics. What troubles me is the fact that some who hold to inerrancy insist that modern scientific theories must conform to the scientific view held by people of the ancient Near East who lived 3,200 years ago. I remember early in my ministry, I was very dogmatic in my faith, and I worked with an associate pastor, and we were talking about creation, and uh, I was holding to a very um, traditional conservative view that I grew up with, and he did not hold that view. And he said, Levi, you would do well to realize that Genesis 1 and 2 tell us who, not how, things were created. That is the point of the story. I didn't want to hear it back then, but now I wish that my 23-year-old self would have been more open uh, to realizing that we don't need to make the Bible a science book. That, that's not what it was intended to be. And we make a mistake when we try to make the Bible more than what it was intended to be. All right. And I'm going to wrap up these last two pretty quick. Uh, we make a mistake when we make an idol of the Bible. And I know you're probably tired of me beating this drum, but I, I wanted to beat this every single week, beat this drum, that the Bible is not on par with Jesus. The Bible is not equal to Jesus. It's, it's not on par with the Trinity. We are not called Biblicians. We're called Christians. And the call is to follow Jesus not to follow the Bible. Do we throw the, do we throw the Bible out? No, no. I, I read the Bible on a very regular basis, almost daily. I am interacting with scripture. But I, I believe, and I believe you know some folks who have made an idol of the Bible. 
And again, 20 years ago, I heard somebody say that, that you can make an idol of the Bible. And I thought, that's impossible because it's the, it's the highest thing. It's the greatest thing. But it is possible to put the Bible above Christ. In one of our Sunday downloads a, a couple of weeks ago, um, somebody brought out this, uh, this passage. And it's, it's so interesting because it's Jesus' very words found in John uh, chapter 5, I, I believe, uh, beginning in verse 39. I'm going to read from the message. He says, you have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there, but you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me. And here I am standing right before you, and you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say you want. Like right out of the mouth of Jesus, he's saying, don't put the scriptures above me. We're, we're not on par, all right? So that is the fourth mistake uh, that, that we can make if we're not careful is uh, making an idol out of scripture. And I'm just going to touch on this last one, all right? The fifth mistake we make is when we read scripture not realizing that the Bible is an epic story. There is a storyline from beginning to end that everything ties together. And it's this epic story that culminates in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, of the church that continues forward and is being continued and, and brought forth and moved forward in the lives of believers even today, that you and I are connected to this ancient story. I honestly think we're going to do an entire sermon series on this down the line about the epic story of God uh, that is contained in the scripture, because we can get so far down in the weeds that we don't realize what's, what's happening up here. All right. So uh, I know this is a bit different uh, kind of format for a sermon, but I think we can make these mistakes if we're not careful. And I encourage you to, to dig in, find um, stuff on YouTube. I can't recommend The Bible Project enough. It, it, is, it is fantastic. You can go to their YouTube page. It's completely free. And you can begin to dig into some of these things. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, we thank you for the, the words that you have left us this story that is scripture that, that points us to Jesus. Uh, Father, uh, forgive us when we make mistakes in, in reading these words, when we try to make them something they're not or make them more than they are or put them on par with Jesus. Um, God, we're doing our best and we thank you uh, for your grace that you extend toward us as we uh, interact uh, with your words. Father, more than anything, we want to follow Jesus. We want our lives more and more to look like him. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A few reminders before you go. Maison Mission is a non-denominational church these programs and conversations are only possible through the financial support and donations from people like you. If our program encouraged you today, consider supporting the Maison Mission with a one-time gift or on a reoccurring basis. You can give through the link shown on your screen. Thanks.
This week, Ash Wednesday, marks the beginning of Lent, the 40-day time period that leads us to Easter Sunday. We encourage you to participate with us during Lent by committing to a fast or devotional routine that will focus our hearts on the powerful ministry of Jesus. Next Sunday, we begin a new series centered around this unique season. I hope you will join us.